It's Monday, January 3rd, 2022. In case you forgot what day it is, Happy New Year! It's been a pretty happy New Year so far up here at Weasel Manor. It took a while getting here, but winter finally did show up, and boy has it been throwing its weight around all weekend. I think it climbed above 15 today, but don't quote me on that. It was actually colder at Lambeau Field last night, or warmer, I should say, at Lambeau Field last night when the Packers were playing than it was down here in Madison. Explain that to me if you can. I don't think you can. So I decided over the weekend to do some meal planning for the week that involved some good cold weather meals. And on the docket for tonight is a bolognese, which I just started. So that's got about three hours or a little more to go. Oh man, it smells delicious already though. So much good stuff in it. And I'm using a uh, kind of, I guess you would say, a mashup of a couple different recipes. And this one has some sage and thyme in it. I couldn't find any fresh thyme. But I did find some fresh sage. Smelling fantastic. Got some wine in there. Got my beef and my pork. Mmm. Now the key, and I learned this, actually I think it was a bolognese recipe. Uh, Jacques Pepin. I was watching his show a few years back. And uh, the key to any good pasta, but certainly when you're doing a bolognese sauce, when you do your spaghetti, a lot of people know this, you reserve a cup of the pasta water, water you cooked the pasta in. So you drain your pasta, never run cold water over it. Just drain it, al dente, put it in a big bowl, Put a cup of your reserved water in there, and then you want to do is add four to five tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil and a a teaspoon each of salt and pepper, and you mix that all up. You could eat that on its own. It's delicious, but it will accentuate whatever kind of sauce you're using. It's so rich and delicious. And uh, I like to time these things for right when my wife walks in the door. Because I think that's got to be nice. You've been at work all day and you walk in the door and dinner's on the table. My uh, One of my daughters is in the school musical and they've been rehearsing, I think they go four days a week. Uh, they've been doing that since I think late October. And uh, the show is in February. So she finishes, she has long days, she finishes at five every day, so my wife picks her up on the way home. It's nice, they walk in and they've got dinner on the table. Well, I suppose you don't want to hear about the weather and what I'm making for dinner, but too bad, you're the one who signed up for the podcast. Maybe you're the one person who's going to unsubscribe. I get one every time, just one, a single one, a voice crying out in the wilderness, as it were. I read uh, this morning that Joe Rogan, I think, left Twitter and joined some other thing called Getter. It's just a Twitter clone, but it's like all free speech, which is great, right? I'm all for free speech, except it's just you go over there 
I signed up for an account. I'm going to check this out. And it's just, yeah, it's free speech, but it doesn't really amount to much because it's just, as far as I can tell, a bunch of right-wing nuts. I mean, like, the first thing your eyes are assaulted for is some uh, claim. They're always so sure this stuff is going to happen to some claim that Fauci is going to be tried for war crimes or crimes against humanity or something like that. All right, buddy. Okay. Lighten up, Francis. So I doubt I'll be spending much time there because it just looks like an echo chamber. And it is really a shame that the left has just completely ceded the free speech issue to the right. Because if smart people from the left came over there and joined in and debated some of this nutty stuff, uh, it could be a place worth visiting daily. Now, Twitter isn't going anywhere. Twitter won't go anywhere until the celebrities abandon it. And I think celebrities in general have a very high tolerance for, for censorship. But Twitter is also boring to me because it's, it's like a really highly concentrated uh, version of all the clickbait that's all over the internet. And everybody's got to be angry and outraged because that's what gets people interested. And I find it rather tiring and tedious. Speaking of tedious, I read over the weekend in The Spectator, and this is not new news, but this opinion piece I read treated it like it just happened. It's, it actually happened earlier in the year. And a lot of people wrote about it, including somebody with an opinion piece in The Spectator back in May. But the Globe Theater has announced plans to decolonize Shakespeare. And I'm in favor of it. Let me tell you why. Because I know people will say, and rightly so, that I'm a bit of a pessimist. I look at the glass, I say, that glass, by God, it's half empty. But today, I'm going to say it's half full. Today, I'm going to look at those Globe Theater lemons and try to make some lemonade out of them. Not just for the heck of it. There's actually a method to my madness, believe it or not. The Globe Theater is a replica of the original Globe built by Shakespeare. And it's built on more or less the same location. And I've been there. I've been actually to the indoor theater. In fact, uh, seeing The Tempest there the last time I was in London uh, was uh, an absolutely transcendent, life-changing experience. Went to see The Tempest with uh, Poutine, bass player and Screeching Weasel. It's outstanding. And uh, if the globe decolonizes Shakespeare, then that sort of transcendent experience is far less likely to occur. And that's unfortunate. But hear me out. Because I think prior to decolonization, what we were looking at was, and I'm pronouncing this wrong, but... Uh, Regie theater, director's theater. It's a German term where people would take plays and operas and 
they still do this. It's still very popular, apparently, in Europe. I don't know how popular it is with crowds, but it's popular in the sense that a lot of people do it. Where they, uh, it can it can range from the mild stuff like putting, setting something in an unusual location, like let's do Romeo and Juliet in space. But it can go a lot farther than that, where it it, it directly contradicts the text, and it's a very strange thing to sit through because what happens is that there's this idea that for instance with an opera the score and the libretto are sacred and cannot be changed and yet they want to change it so so they'll change everything that you see on the stage they'll have people doing things that contradict the libretto so they'll be saying words, but doing something different. And and somehow this is, I guess, the best of both worlds. It's obviously the worst of both worlds, but uh, but the, the idea often seems to be deliberately to undermine what the creator was trying to accomplish with the work. Think of it as the auteur theory of film directing. Same idea. The director is the creator, even though the director didn't create anything, except a mess. I think this is just self-justifying. I have to justify being hired to do this, and doing the actual work is too hard. So I'm going to throw a bunch of silly crap at the wall, and when none of it sticks, I'm going to blame you for not being smart enough to get it. Or in the case of decolonization, I'm going to blame your inherent whiteness or racism and blah, 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 all that tedious stuff. But really what it comes down to is you're just not very good at your job and you want to take the easy way out. And it's funny to me in that world, the opera world and and. I think it's true in the theater world as well, how much people agonize about, you know, connecting with modern audiences. You don't see anybody in the film or TV world doing that. No one. They don't worry about it. They don't have to worry about it. They just do the work. I'm not saying there aren't problems sometimes with how they choose to do things, but the point is they, they look at the numbers at the ticket sales and they go, oh, there's a big problem. But there isn't a big problem. There's just a smaller audience for theater and opera. There's nothing wrong with what theater or opera traditionally does. But, you know, I think what happens is the people who do this kind of self-justifying stuff get away with it because the people running the organizations are terrified. They're scared to death. They're going to lose their jobs if... Uh, ticket sales maybe continue to go down or at least, you know, don't go up, which they probably won't. So all, you know, forms of entertainment are imitative. If somebody's successful, somebody's going to copy it. But you, it's unusually true, I think, in the theater world. If you have a hit show like Hamilton, then all you're getting is a bunch of little Hamiltons for like the next 30 years because it's basically next to impossible to produce a successful uh, Broadway musical. 
And that's really a case where the, the genre should, by all rights, just be dead. But people kind of keep propping it up and throwing money into it. Uh, and yet nobody likes to lose money, so it's like, here's a hit movie. Let's do a musical based on it. And I guess there's a little bit of an audience for that. And so they're able to limp along uh, with this, with this uh, bloated, flatulent corpse of a genre like Weekend at Bernie's. They just drag it along, pretending it's still got some life in it. So I say, let them decolonize Shakespeare. Let them dig their own grave. It's bad enough as it is. Let them dig their own graves. Let them make it worse. Because I believe in the power of Shakespeare. And ultimately, if you rail against this stuff... And we certainly should criticize it because it's a terrible idea. But if you rail against it as though it represents the destruction of something, I think that shows a lack of faith in the material. And the work is brilliant, and it's always going to be brilliant. And if we have to go through a period of time where fewer and fewer people are aware of that because of idiotic decisions like this, oh well, it won't be the first time it's happened. And in the meantime, if you're coming from a conservative perspective, which a lot of the critics of this stuff are, you should be happy because if you're conservative, you're a big proponent of free market principles. Go start a theater company, a non-woke theater company. See, nobody's going to do that because even under the best circumstances, those things aren't going to be profitable. So, you know, you're stuck with your gatekeepers, but if you're upset about that from a conservative point of view, where have you been for the past 50 years? Where have you been making money? You haven't, you haven't really put any skin in the game. I'm not talking about rich people funding opera. That's fine. That's good. Got nothing against it. Or rich people funding theater. But I'm talking about people actually in the game, acting, directing, writing. Where are you? You can sit around and complain that, that the theater industry and that the film industry, music industry, you can complain that it's this homogenized world and that everybody thinks the same. But, you know, if you just take your ball and go home, then I don't know what you're complaining about. I'm thought, incorrectly for the most part, but I'm thought to be a conservative. That certainly has cost me work. I mean, I've had people tell me, you know, this person won't deal with you. That company won't deal with you or whatever. It's like, okay, if they, if they won't deal with me because of, you know, silly ideas that aren't even grounded in reality... I probably shouldn't be doing business with them anyway. I don't know. Maybe that's just sour grapes, but I think if somebody's going to be that petty, you're probably better off not doing business with them. I would imagine that's going to lead to a lot of problems down the road. But I'm, I'm not sitting around complaining about it. I'm the luckiest son of a bitch in the world as far as I'm concerned. I'm not at a job. I'm sitting here doing a podcast for the, you know, 100 people who give a damn about it or whatever it is. And... uh and I get to, you know, play my stupid punk songs for a living. I get to do creative work. You know, and still be able to have a roof over my head. 
and food on the table for my family. It's, 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 it's not that hard. It's hard to go against the grain. It's not that hard. And if you don't have any skin in the game, you don't get to whine when things don't go your way. But I would also say, I would reiterate the point that you can't cancel Shakespeare. You can try. You can dig in your heels and decolonize until the cows come home, but the texts are still going to be there. The Globe Theater can do what the Globe Theater wants. It will destroy itself. Good for them. But they can't destroy Shakespeare. You can't rid the world of those texts, and there are always going to be people who are going to stage productions of those plays the way they believe it should be done according to the text rather than according to current social mores and trends. So don't worry about it. Shakespeare's not going anywhere. The globe's going somewhere. They're going to be looking for jobs. Because I don't think people are going to support that. If you look at some of those productions, I mean, those are, those are people in the crowd having fun. I think fun would be the would would be the main adjective I would use to describe these uh, productions in the past. When you see what they're doing now, and I have seen some of it, it is a lot of things, but fun is not among them, and uh, people won't pay for it. I really believe that. I think they're going to see their crowds decrease. And, uh, and if they don't, and if they find a niche, that's fine. They're still going to lose people who are still going to be hungering uh, for non-woke theater, like yours truly, and probably like you yourself. That's what I think about that. Oh, my goodness. The album has been mastered. It is outstanding, if I do say so myself. I'm usually very careful about making statements like that. This is a really good record. And right now we're in the phase of figuring out how the heck to get it out there, to get vinyl, even CDs, digital, all released at once, which is that right there is like herding cats. And then how the heck to promote it on essentially no budget. And it's always trickier when you're promoting to people that uh, you've never met and yet somehow have a personal problem with you. But I like that challenge. In fact, the truth is, as much of a pain as this is, I kind of like the challenge of all of it. It's really, we've got this, by we I mean me, got this duct tape and bubblegum operation. But, you know, I like the uh, I like it. You kind of put together this ragtag bunch of go-getters and uh and it shouldn't work it probably won't work but by god you're going to try and make it work and uh, get the word out about the record and really i mean at this point we're trying to reach the you know the diehard fans and we've got most of them already you know something crazy like uh newsletter, an email newsletter, said, what the heck, I'll give it a shot. It worked. I mean, I've put things up for sale and sold out of them 
just from newsletter clicks without even going to the socials. So we've got the diehards. If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're a diehard. And if you want to reach that mythical unicorn of a creature, the one album people, the people in our case who only know Boogada 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 or Bark Like a Dog, those are the two. People only know those two records by our band. Um, you want to reach those people, good luck. Nobody knows how. No band knows how. I mean, the, the, the bands on bigger labels, they throw so much money at this. You know, with the Facebook ads and God knows what else. They spend a small fortune on publicity. And it's still very, very difficult to reach those people. To even let them know you still exist and have other records. I'm not talking about convincing them to buy it. That's a whole other thing. But even get in front of their eyeballs. Very, very difficult. So we don't... Our sights are not set that high. We're just going for the diehard fans. So at some point this year, the new record will be out. I can't say when, because it's really going to be dependent on when we get the vinyl in. So I think what's probably going to happen is uh, the vinyl, which is in the works already... Uh, whenever that comes in, we'll get the word and then just be ready to go with a couple weeks' notice. Hopefully we'll have CDs in as well. Do some tiered packages and this and that and the other thing. And uh, mainly just get the thing out because I think you guys are going to love it. I hope you do. And if you don't, well, I love it. So that's something. And I know the guys in the band do as well. With any luck at all, we might even be able to get out there and do a few shows to support it. I will be with you again next week. Until then, have a great week. I hope you had a very happy new year. And until next time, please remember, I love you all very much. So long. <laughs>